Welcome to episode five of From Forward. Today we had on a good friend of mine, Rabbi Miles Tall, who is a youth Q rabbi here in the Sephardic Center in Florida in Surfside. He's a neighbor of mine, and he does a lot of great work in the Sephardic Center, helping, helping young kids. And um, we discuss all, all sorts of things regarding his work and regarding raising children here in Miami, Florida. Hope you guys enjoy. Welcome to From Forward, a podcast where we have real discussions with real people. This is your host, Yosef Manicheri. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show. Welcome to From Forward. This is episode number five, I believe. Today I have on my friend, Rabbi Moes Tal. He is the youth director and teen rabbi of the Sephardic Center here in Surfside, Florida. Um, Thank you, Yosef. Thank you so much for having me. Um, of course. So I want to say I heard the last episode and it was amazing. Which one? The one with the uh, with Rabbi. What was his last name? The one who Rabbi came, Cutler. Yeah, Rabbi Cutler. Amazing. Really, really nice. Hold the whole you. fifty-five minutes. I, I think it was very inspiring. I'm actually going to use some of that contact to the next class I'm going to give uh, to the teens that we have here. Yeah, he yep. has he has a great story. Yeah, very very nice. Uh, amazing. I don't know how you find these people, but it's it's just amazing every episode. So, congrats. I love it a lot. All right, thanks so much for the kind words. Let's hop right into it. Let's just, so, I'm going to start with the first question that I like asking everyone. Uh, like, where are you from and what's your story? So, um, I grew up in a lot of places, but to make it m- the shorter version, which is still going to sound long to some people, uh, I grew up in Miami. I moved for a few years to Israel, and then I moved to Canada, Toronto, and then, Baruch Hashem, my family moved here mid-COVID, to Miami, and then I got married, and now I'm established in Miami. Um, so yeah, I kind of went back and forth, but I did do yeshiva, yeshiva gedola in Israel. I went to Hebron for five years almost, so from 17 to um, almost end of 22, COVID hit in the middle, and then um, and yeah, and then right after that, I was already dating, came to Miami, and got set up with my wife Baruch Hashem, and I've been married for two years. And congrats also to you. You just had a baby boy. Thank you. Yeah. So we both had a uh, boys three days apart, I think. Yeah. So now we're getting to the top of exactly how do we, we start thinking about chinuch now that we're at this age. We have kids and you already start thinking how are we going to be mechanach our kids depending where we are. We know that not every place it's easy to give chinuch to your children and especially with this, these times it's just getting more and more difficult. So I think mm-hmm. this is a very sensitive but a very, very important topic to talk about. Yeah, it's, never, it's never too early to start, um, especially here in Miami. It's like, it's... It's a scary world out there. There's a lot of outside influences, and you know you can't have your kids in a bubble. So it's about finding like a good balance of being the Hanukkah kids in a good way, and and being a you know being a good example, and then obviously trying to see what you know what ways you could limit the outside influence. You know, social media, yeah. movies, and whatnot. I um, think. Yeah, I, go ahead. Personally, just to add on that, I just think we're in a like we're kind of a little bit past like kind of like past that time of we have to, how to keep away social media, we're in a place where you can't really keep that thing away. Like there's so much stuff that we're dependent on our, just our device in our hand and our phone. And I remember when I was younger, I remember I lived, I think, yeah, I lived in Miami when the first iPhone came out and like my dad wanted to buy some of my family in Israel some iPhones. We went for a trip for summer and he went and stood in line at Best Buy and he bought like five iPhones. Everyone was going crazy. And I, w- I would never have thought that, you know, that was what, 2007, I think. That people say, like, I see my siblings who are much younger than me. They're 14, 15 years old. And the difference between, like, they have their phone already. I got I got a smartphone when I was 19. That was when the first time I had a smartphone. I got mine in high school, I think. 
That's crazy. And now people are getting them in elementary my, school. My parents bought my sister one for 16, like a new iPhone. I was like, I had to buy my own at 19. Like, I just see the, you know, you see the difference in how it is. And it's bad. Of course, it's on the bad side, but you have to, you can't just complain about it. You have to know how to, you know, have to deal with it. You yeah. have to know how to take care of it. It's not going to get easier. Get no, I had this talk on the, on the podcast. I think it was the second or third episode. It was Ramatis Ezrad. Yeah. He was talking about the same issues. He, de- he, de- he deals with a lot of teens like you do. He does a lot of cure with the youth. And, he, and we discussed, like, you know, issues with social media and distractions and how it's causing kids not to be able to focus on learning and Yiddishkeit and whatnot. And, he, and I, was, I was also trying to get to this issue that I think it's something that I'm always going to be talking about is how can we, how can we work, work with it? Because obviously it's, we would love to get rid of iPhones and smartphones and social media, but a lot of kids are not going to give it up. And a lot of adults even use it for their business, WhatsApp, um, YouTube, whatever it is. It's, it's very much out there. Yeah. So it's kind of like I'm always trying to find a way to, to kind of limit it. Exactly. I think that's the way we're to, to, in our days, we just have to know how to limit it rather than saying I'm blocking it out completely. Because if you live in the U.S., if you're not, if you're not living in, in anywhere in Israel, it's, it's not blocking it out. You're just going to be able to limit it. To block it out is going to be impossible to actually do more destruction than I see people who try to limit their kids. Not limit. They try to block them, their kids completely. And they could just, you know, the moment they were exposed to one small thing, it just downgraded. went from zero to 100 in a second, and that was just the worst thing. Uh-huh. So if you do have a little bit of exposure, which we all have, you have to know slowly, slowly, slowly to, to mile it down. I'm not a big maven, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm young, but I just see who I'm teaching, and I see how they react and how they tell me things, and I, I'm shocked. I'm like, what? That You guys do that at this age? I'm like, yeah. And then I realized that what we grew up on, you and me, also, if like our age, that's completely different than, than what today is. But like, I always say Shemaim Vav, it's like it's a whole yeah. different thing. So Miles, how, how did you get into Kiruv, and specifically Youth Kiruv? Because you, you t- you're the teen rabbi officially, right, at the Sephardic Center? Yeah, yeah. So I'm called the youth director. Uh, I, just, I just tell them to call so, me Miles. So what is your day-to-day, what does it look like day-to-day? So actually right before I got married, I came here. And you know, while in Shaduchim, we didn't really have yeshiva here there's not really a stark yeshiva in there that could just go sit down so i just went to to the show sat down and learned and then um the rabbi came up to me and he said that they're they were a new community and they're starting to have a teen program and they want someone that could be able to you know give teens that are not exposed so much to torah and judaism they, they have the minimum you know chagib and some uh, you know they keep shabbat they eat kosher they come to show on air of shabbos but that's it they don't do more than that and they go to like places like Hebrew Academy, which is kind of the same every place, every state, right? It's kind of like the same style of uh, of, uh, of, uh, of chinuch. And um, I was, yeah, I was more than happy to do it. I had much more time back then. And at first I was like, I'm just going to do it temporarily for the money. I'll be honest. I was like, I'll just get this good money. And I already did that in Toronto. I used to teach kids. I, I have more of a connection with them. I'm not, I don't come with more of like a... Uh, a strict look. I look more young, more subtle. Like they, they connected more. So I was like, sure, I'll do it. I would never know that if you're talking two years later, I have such a connection with them that they, I bring them over to my house. I invited them to the bread of my son. Like I have a connection. Like they're like, I feel like they're like my own like young friends in a way. And I really feel like if something were, if something bothers them, like I want to help them out because I have that you know connection to them rather than just come and teach them and leave, which is what usually people have at schools. It's not the same thing. Um, and yeah, and then since then I've been staying with that. That that that's how my job started. And so you give yeah. you give shirim there. You give, you run the minyanim. Yeah, yeah. Do. So we started with one shir actually on a Monday, one hour pizza night they called it. We did one hour, and now we do Monday Thursdays. We do Shabbat, 
Shabbat Minyan we're talking about we used to have a, we used to to do Shacharit and now we also do Mincha Mayriv Shalashidas we do we do um, anytime there's certain thing if it's like Birkat Ha'ilanot for Pesach so we brought them over to do Birkat Ha'ilanot if it's Sukkot if it was Hoshana Rabbah we sat down and learned till 4am and then they went to sleep which is they didn't even know what Hoshana Rabbah was a year ago and now they're sitting you know, awake, awake till 4am um, yeah, and then we're just we're just going more and more and more every time, and they're learning much more. And they say sometimes comments in the class like, you know, I learn here much more than I learned all my life in Hebrew Academy. Like they say that out loud because they don't know. Like I say, like I, we're talking that we started from a place where one kid when we first started Mincha, he didn't know where it is. He was like, oh, Mincha is that the second davening of the day, the first one? He had no idea. Like that's how confused they were. It's 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 crazy. It's uh, and now and now I have. I had a friend who came a year and a half ago to visit me, and he was with me for a week. And he came to, uh, to the shul, and he came to Davin with us, and he saw they were struggling, you know, I was like telling one kid, you say Ashrei, you say Nevevarech David, and struggling, and I was trying to kind of help them. And a year and a half later, he came. He came like a few months ago. And then uh, he comes to me after Shabbos, and he says, Moz, I'm impressed. I'm like, what are you talking about? It's like, you don't see the difference in them. And I'm like, no, not really. I'm with them every day almost, so I don't really see how, I see it progresses, but you probably saw more drastically. He's like, you don't understand. I remember a year and a half ago, they weren't even able to sip sukkah de zimra, and now one kid is chazan, one kid is leaning. Like, they're, they're actually doing stuff that I would never believe that these kids from where their background is and where they come from can are able and capable to do. That's really nice. That's really cool. What are struggles you, you see, like, youth, youth teens having? Like, day-to-day struggles or... Personally, I think it's... Um, it's... it's they tell me because I, I I never I never go up never one time in my life I came up to one of my students and I told them what's bothering you like I, I feel like if someone it's also the way I was growing also my yeshiva style like you never we never came, yeshiva never came up to the student he always used to have to come up himself because if he's coming up he's fifty percent already there if he's coming and saying oh something is bothering me then we're already fifty percent there the person is acknowledging it he knows what's going on and he wants something to help him out if you try to push him out of it it's not gonna be real it's gonna be placebo fake and it's gone after a few days. It's going to be a momentum thing. Um, most of the times, almost 100% of the times when they come up, it's either something that has to do with them feeling that they have a lack of, of Yiddishkeit and they want to gain a little bit more, just from themselves, sincerely from themselves, they feel it. We maybe don't feel that as much because we're always surrounded by that, but for them, they feel their neshama. It has to be. They're just feeling something that's missing and they want to get that more. Or it's that they feel they don't like the environment that they're in. And a lot of my students wish they weren't in that environment, but that's how it is. They're not going to go anywhere else. They're 16, 17 year olds already. I started with them when they were like 15. What do you mean by that? They don't, they don't like the environment. They don't like the religious the, environment? Yeah, because they could be like, let's say in Hebrew Academy, for example, they have, it's a mix, right? It's a boy-girl school. And, um, and you could see how they showed me one time, I, I gave him a class, it was Trevavim. And I was like telling him about Trevavim, which is crazy to talk about them, about this thing. But I was like, you know, I'm going to try it. I'm going to talk about this subject. And then, um, and then I said, one of the classes was, what exactly makes it more harder for you to keep yourself pure? Well, what does that? And I thought they were going to say stuff they see on their phone. But out of 15 students, almost 13 of them, you know what they said? They told me that what? it wasn't actually what they see. It was what they hear from their own friends. That's what influences them or what they hear from people. Oh, I did this. I do this. And the girls in their class and the boys and the kids that are, their parents were supposed to put them in public school almost. But they brought them to Hebrew Academy because... You know, it just says Jewish on the title. And then some kids were supposed to go to a more, you know, more strict religious school. 
went down to Hebrew Academy, that mix is not right for them. And they feel it. They feel like when we go to your class and then we come up the next day to school, it doesn't feel right. When you speak about Shavavim, the next day we hear this girl saying this and this guy talking about what he did this, it, it, it's just, it doesn't connect us. And it's hard for us to think that's so different when we're in that environment. It's just, it's just hard for them to, 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 you know what I mean, to adapt to that. It just doesn't make sense to them sometimes. And it's sad, but he can't really do anything about that anymore. The only thing he could do is try to pinpoint it out and say, you know, like it says in, in Pirkei Avos, right? That's an entire really actually. Um, it's laughing because I, I gave my son the name after that Tana, but he says three things. So that's the second one. He says, so what does that mean? Don't look at a Rasha and say, oh, he's having everything so good for himself. Then why am I not having the same thing? Because you can never know what Hashem decides his calculations. A Rasha is a Rasha. Don't ever take an example from him. So they say it's hard for us not to take an example when we're living the same life. And then you're telling us to do this, which is hard, but we're trying to. But then we see them doing the exact same thing and everything looks perfectly normal for them. How do we differentiate ourselves and say, that's not right? You know, you have to have something that shows you that that's still not right. And it's, it's not that easy. Yeah, definitely with influence is, is a big thing about picking, picking the right friends and whatnot. Um, what was the most memorable experience you've had so far in your career and your job in Kyiv? Most memorable one? Um, like, for example, a, a certain kid you might have helped or yeah. a certain parent who I said, had, oh, my kid, you know, is so happy, whatever yeah. it is. I had, I had actually, now it co- comes to my mind. It's funny. It's funny, but uh, the build-up to the story is going to be, like, crazy. You're going to laugh. Um, so it's what time? It was like one a.m. One a.m. on like a Thursday, and I get a call from one of my students. So one a.m. One of your students calls you. You know, doesn't sound a good sign. So I answer the phone, and I happen to be awake. I usually I would go to sleep around like twelve-ish. That's it. Done. You know, shiva days are done. You're not awake more than that. And he calls me. And he says, "Moz, uh, I need your help." So and I hear him. He's like, you know, he's like. He's like taking air inside. I was like, something's going on. And then I said, what's, what his name is? Uh, I'm not going to say his name, actually. So he's like, what's going on? So he says, okay, me and a few of your other students, we went to, um, to this party someone did in uh, Fort Lauderdale, like in the garage. Uh, they rented out a garage. They did a party. And not in the best area, you know, places where there's like a few other like clubs around for like, of course, um, not the you know, safest place. But we rented out that place, and we went inside. Then we went outside to just talk outside. No, just it was too hot inside the garage. We went outside to, to chill out. And then suddenly we see in the club, we hear, like, um, a few people arguing. Then we hear three gunshots. And, um, and, then, uh, and then we just hid behind a dumpster, and we didn't know what was going on. And then uh, 10 minutes later, we hear, you know, sirens, and we see police coming in. And then uh, we think that they pulled someone out. I don't know if it was on a stretcher, but I don't know. That's what we saw from far, and we, we were freaking out. So I was like, and I'm, I know, my heart is like, I'm pounding, like, hey, God, are you guys okay? Someone get hurt? He's like, no, no, we're perfectly fine, but we want to know, do we have to say a goy mail? I was, I was like, what? It's like 120, I'm 20 minutes on the phone hearing this crazy story. I'm like, what do you mean? That's your question? He's like, yeah, do we have to say a goy Because, you know, we spoke about this in class and we we're in a certain situation. And do we, are we part of it or not? So in my second, I, I re, I, first of all, I was like, oh, yeah, that's, that's a great question because I'm never going to tell him, you know, that's a retarded question. What are you asking me that at 1 a.m.? Give me that story. But um, I realized that the reason why he was asking me this is because at that moment, maybe he wanted to take out that pressure that he had, whatever he felt, but he didn't really want to have anyone else to call. He's not going to call his parents at 1 a.m. telling him he's at this party. He's not going to call anybody else that he knows. His friends are with him. So he called me because he wanted to lay it down on someone, but he didn't know how. 
And at the end of the day, he's like, and I'm going to ask him also this question. So he found a way to put something. And I just felt at that moment that this person trusts me a lot. Because if he called me as his contact person to go and ask, that means that I influenced him in a way. And I'm, I, it just made me happy because I knew that I touched him in a way that he felt that he can trust me. And if I came to him a week later and say, you know, you know, plainly, this is not a good thing to do. He would take those words into heart because he knows that this person is someone I trust. Just like yeah. I relied on him a week ago, I can rely on what he tells me now and don't think that he's just trying to put his opinions on me. That was the, I think that was one of the most memorable moments I had with them. That's very cool. So you can see like he, he really looks up to you if, yeah. he's, if he's calling you that Not late. to me, yeah, but, but someone that he can look up that shows him a good example. Could be anybody, but someone that gives him a good example. Yeah, so I just moved to Miami, like you know, um, about a month ago, a month and a half ago. I was in Arizona before that, and I'm originally from Los Angeles. Um, but there's, I mean, every community has its issues, and every place in America, whether it's in Arizona, whether it's in America, there's always going to be pros and cons. So I just wanted to, now that I'm new to Miami, specifically Surfside, I wanted to go into to what you think are the pros and cons of, of, of being living here in Miami, because there are there is a lot of beautiful things happening the communities are growing there's a new shows popping up all over the place but there's also we're right next to the beach there's a lot of peaches there's a lot of distractions so i just want to get into that for a bit um that's that's a that's a that's a great question but it's it's true like it's not we're not the first ones you know i also moved here right like two years i think before you and and i yeah it's not easy especially where we live we live on the water and it's not a um, that's just where Saddam is at the number one thing over here. Um, but if you're already here and you're established, and this is where you're supposed to be, and you know that you you need to make your own daladamois where you are, you know you have to have your good environment. Look, Baruch Hashem, like you said, it is right that its community is going. Everybody's moving to Miami. You can hear people saying in real estate, Miami is the next hot thing. It's not next. It's already the hot thing right now. Talking. Everybody knows this is where it's uh it's a. Uh, it's where it's going to start happening. People are going to start moving more and more here. So for sure, we're going to get much more Yiddish get over here. You can see already more schools opening, more Judaica stores opening, more programs, So which is crazy. I see that in the past two years. Um, but like we said in the beginning, I think it's not a, it's not a point of how, you could, of how you could try to block or restrict things. It's more how you can limit it. So even if you're in a place that is not the best environment, you have to know how to use that to your advantage and Try to limit it the most, but also take the pros out of it. Because everything has pros in it. Hashem, everything Hashem gave to us has something, a pro and con. You just have to know how to take out that pro out of it. And starting from young, it's showing your kids that you yourself are the right example. You yourself, you know, um, my father-in-law, Baruch Hashem, and I really, I never say this to him because, you know, you're very strict with the father-in-law. But um, he always, it's, everyone knows Miami, I don't know, in, in in Fahrenheit, what is it, almost usually 90 to 100 degrees here, like on the easy. Yeah, anywhere um, from 80 to 95. Yeah, I, I go by Celsius, so I don't know. But either way, it's very hot. And me, sometimes I, I, I would walk the show just with the talit on, and I would take off that hat and jacket. Like, it's too hot for me. And I could see my father and I, and he goes to the show. It's about like a 15-minute walk, easy. Hat and jacket, doesn't take it off for one second. And no one, there's not really that much hat and jackets in the area, right? How much do you see? Maybe 10, 15 people, including the rabbis. It's not that much. People wear jackets, but a black hat, no. And my father-in-law, he goes with the hat and jacket, 15 minutes. He doesn't move it. He walks slowly all the way to Shul, comes back. Even if it's in, the, in, the, in Shachis in the morning and on Shabbos, he takes it off at Shul, puts his talit on, puts it back on, walks back home. So I asked someone, I'm like, what do you know? It's so hot. Leave it at Shul at least. He's like, the fact that I'm walking on the street of here with the hat and jacket and someone maybe 
visiting you from New York or someone just happens to you know, move here right now and he says, oh, there's not that much, you know, I don't see that much from people Yiddishkeit. And you see someone with a hat and jacket, that is such a figure for someone saying, oh, this is a community that has hat and jackets. This is, you know, I can work with what we have here. So he says, I'm doing it as an example so people know it doesn't matter where you are. It could be in the hottest place ever. The fact that you still have some that you, you hold on to, you clench to, that, that's, that's the best thing you can have. So you can take that example to any single thing. If it's with by, you mean by leading, leading by example. Exa- exactly. So it could be by chinuch. If you show your son that you're the one who always is team. I always learn for two, three, four hours a day. It doesn't, doesn't, doesn't matter how much. But the fact that you have that time, you always do it, he takes that good example. And, and Mimela, he's already going to start saying, I have, my dad has boundaries. I'm going to have boundaries. I'm not going to do stuff on my phone that's not allowed to. I'm not going to go hang out with other kids. I don't know. Because if my dad has those boundaries, why can I have, that, have those boundaries? I can take care of myself. I want to be like him. So if you have someone that you look up to, and that's especially with chinuch, that's that you have to already know how to restrict yourself, make yourself, you have those limits and you don't press yourself too much to do stuff that's not okay. And then your son learns from you. That's, and not only from you, other people. People see you, people like you, Yosef, and you're a good example as well. And you see someone going, learn, davening on time. Some people don't. They don't just go daven. They're tired. But when they see you, I see Yosef on his statuses, you know. Yeah, uh, is it getting that learning everything it is and yeah something that inspires me as well I see that I'm like this is, I want to go do that today I'm going to go and it inspires you so you have to be a role model an example for everybody but also for yourself once you're for yourself it follows on it follows right. on to your kids especially yeah shout out to my Rebbe of Shai Cohen he always says that kids will see right through right through their parents meaning people we can all preach as much as we want like learning is the most important davening is the most important Hashem is the most important but if our kids are not seeing that in the house. If that's what you're preaching, but you go home and you're watching YouTube for an hour and you're laying on the couch um, watching Netflix or you're just not doing anything revolved around learning and you're getting up late and you're not going to meet and you're wrapping your feeling quickly at home and your parents, and you're not your parents, I mean, and your kids see that every single day, they're going to they're gonna see right through it, meaning they know. They, can, they, they know it's fake and they know it's real. So it's kind of what you're saying is instead of like preaching you know, to your kids and, and trying to keep them in like a bubble, kind of just be a strong example of of what you want them to be, whether it's in, you know, learning, davening, and structure. And they, they'll see it because they see you every day. They see you at home. They see what you're doing. They see what time you get up. And yeah, so that's, I guess now that we both had sons, I know it's very far down the line, but it's something that I, that I kind of want to... Yeah, you put your head to it already. You already start yeah. thinking about it. And it's true. You should start thinking about it right now because... Yeah, it's scary. It's yeah, all it's, it's not to like free really people out and be like, oh, well, we're fear mongering, but it's like we live in America and, and in Miami of all places in America. So it's, it's, there's a lot of, a lot of um, bad influences out there and a lot of distractions. So we're just trying to, I guess, with all the future guests, trying to tackle this, this issue and just trying to see different angles and how we can best, best avoid um, the outside influences. These challenges, yeah, and, and, and build ourselves our right structure wherever you are. Okay, also, no, we're definitely going to do a part two. Today, we're, we're a bit rushed. People have to run. Um, but I just want to thank you. Maos, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having definitely me. Have to, you definitely pleasure. have to come back on. Yeah, I would love to. Maybe if the viewers have any questions, something that we could talk about, I feel like this is a very important topic and not like something you would say you know, on, on one foot. It's something that you could really attack and it could help a lot of people because everybody, anywhere they are, has these types of challenges for him and for their kids also to come. All right, thank you. Thanks so much for coming. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening, guys. This is Yosef Manicheri from From Forward. Stay tuned. There's going to be a podcast each week. 
Uh, if you can leave a five-star review on Spotify and iTunes, that would help the podcast tremendously. Have a great day. <laughs>